How are we? We doing all right? I'm not convinced. It's good to see everybody here at the Valley, everybody at Westside, Charlottetown, Halifax, and everybody watching online. We are glad you're with us today. Just want to read the scripture together before we jump in. If you have a Bible, go ahead and turn it to John chapter 1. John chapter 1, I just want to read about 17 verses. And uh, at very least today, you're going to be able to leave church and say, well, I read a lot of the Bible, so that's, that's a win. John, seven, John uh, chapter 1, starting in verse 1, I'll bring it up on the screen here as well. Are you good? You feel quiet, y'all. You're making me freaked out a little bit. All right? The West Side's always rowdy. If you've never been to the West Side, you've got to go and, and take in a service there. Charlottetown and uh, Halifax, we welcome you as well. John chapter 1, John says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Can I get an amen? Can John get an amen? There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Wow. Who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. For from his fullness, from Jesus' fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. This is the word of the Lord. I want to read one more verse. Isaiah 7, 14. Several hundred years before John wrote these words, Isaiah, through the inspiration of the Spirit, said, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for these words. We believe that they're your words, and there's not a wasted word that we just read, and that it's able to divide and cut, to set free, and to liberate, to prune, to restore, to build. So God, I pray today, uh, wherever people are hearing the sound of my voice, would it be your voice that comes through? Would you speak to us? Would you encourage your church today, Father? We thank you that your word is true. We thank you that you're moving forward, that your kingdom is crashing in right now. We thank you that we have hope that is, uh, it is unfailing and it cannot be taken away during pandemics or seasons or loss or gain. Our, our hope is a living hope in Christ Jesus. Father, would you just fill us fresh today with the encouragement of 
of your word like only you can. And God, would you give us clarity on the real meaning of this season? We pray this in Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said, amen, amen, amen. Well, it's the most wonderful time of the year. <laughs> That's awesome. It's Christmas time. And I suppose if I were to poll the congregation, if I were to go to all of our rooms today or online, we would find a bit of a spectrum of people's appetite for Christmas. You have your cranks, you know, you have people on this end of the spectrum that are Grinches, you know, they're Scrooges, they're Luther cranks, and then you have people on the other end of the spectrum that are Buddy the Elf, Santa, right? And somewhere in between, we all land. And I would say for myself, I have a, a love-hate relationship with, with Christmas. On the one hand, I really do love Christmas. I love the family time. I love food. I love the music. I really do. I love winter. I like the snow. I, I really like it. I like the lights. I like driving around with my family and looking at people's lights. I like the gift giving. I love the nostalgia. I like binge watching the same movies every Christmas season. I love that about Christmas. But what I dislike about Christmas, and I, I feel like my wife probably doesn't believe that I even love Christmas because in our household, I'll just take you behind the curtain, she's like so Buddy the Elf that I got to kind of balance it out with a little bit of scroogeiness. Anybody else in one of those situations? Like you feel like you got to keep equilibrium in your home. That's, that's my role. But really what I don't like legitimately about Christmas, if I were to like quantify my struggle with the season, I would... Narrow it down and, and typify it with one word, and the word is this, clutter. Clutter. Now, yes, physical clutter, of course. I mean, you, you have, like, no other time in the year, just stuff everywhere. Am I right? Anybody else just, like, doesn't like clutter? I can't walk through my room without tripping on gifts and wrapping paper and things. Our door is closed all through December because, kids, you can't come in here. You know, Santa stashes his stuff in here. So, you know, it's, it's just clutter everywhere. There's decorations. Most of our homes look like Christmas came in and threw up everywhere. My cat, actually my wife's cat, correction, Loves to just knock ornaments off the trees and bat them all around the house. Like it is, it is a danger zone in my home when it comes about Christmas time. There is clutter everywhere. And, and the, the clutter, it just increases until about like you, you decide that, you know, one of my favorite days of the year, don't, don't, don't judge me, is when you get rid of the tree. Doesn't it feel like a fresh start? Just like cleaning out the junk. I love it. And you, oh, I'm getting some booze in here. I'm the guy, too, at Christmas Day, I have one job and one job only. I, I handle the garbage. Anybody else? I sit in the living room with a garbage bag right here, and I don't open anything until all that wrapping paper, every shred and every piece of tape is in the garbage bag. Anybody else OCD like me? I feel judgment. There's clutter, but it's not just, it's not like a physical clutter. There's also like schedule clutter around Christmas time. Like there's just too much stuff to accomplish in too little time. There's too many things you want to do and you can't get to do. Too many things you want to watch, things you want to say, people you want to be with. And it's just, it's cluttered. And then of course, on a more serious note, I do find nothing brings the family baggage out of the closet like Christmas. Anybody? 
the, the family clutter just kind of comes out at Christmas. But the thing that I legitimately struggle with, and the reason I want to talk about clutter for a minute, is, is ultimately it's, it's the spiritual clutter that happens in the Christmas season. The, the, the clutter of the Christmas messaging that I want to I just consider for a minute. I find that because of the holiday season and what it's become for so many of us, it's really hard to, like, to, to separate the Christmas holiday season from Christianity and the, the substance of our faith. Anybody just find themselves sort of getting lost in the mix, the melting pot of Santa and Grinches and elves on shelves and Jesus and mangers, and it's all kind of just in this big, messy mix. And I find that much of what we kind of celebrate at Christmas, it, it dilutes the centrality of the gospel. And now I'm not, I'm not trying to get up here and say, you know, we need to put Christ back in Christmas. I'll get to that in just a minute. But I just want to just bring some clarity for a moment on how cluttered Christmas really is. Like you can be in a shopping mall and you can be, you know, annoyed that some jerk cut in front of you in line. And in the background, there are songs playing that sing words like, joy to the world, the Lord is come. Like this weighty theological statement that is a game changer, and all you can think about is how you want to burrow holes in the back of that person's head. It's clutter. You know what I'm saying? Or like you're at a party, and, and the, there's Christmas carols playing in the background. Hark, the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king, peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. Hey, can you pass the dip? Right? And it's just sort of this, mis, this mixed up mess of, of vibes and messages and, and feelings in this season. And, and I'm wondering if maybe we wouldn't do well not creating a big campaign to tell Starbucks they need to put Christ back on their cups. But I wonder if we wouldn't do well just allowing Christmas to be what it is. And I want to tell you, I hope you enjoy Christmas. I plan to enjoy Christmas. I plan to give presents and get presents. I plan to eat way more food than one should ever eat. I plan to enjoy my family and binge watch basketball and Netflix and, and all the things. And I hope you do too. But I wonder if we wouldn't do well as believers to let the Christmas season just kind of be the crock pot of stuff that it is. And for us to get some real clarity on what it means that Jesus is with us. Like, I wonder if the church wouldn't do well to sort of rediscover the meaning of Advent. I wonder if Christmas, for most of us, hasn't lost its saltiness as far as being a Christian. Anybody else find it just, it's, it's hard for it not to be diluted. And so what I want to do for these next few weeks is I want us to just zoom in let Christmas be Christmas. Let Buddy the Elf and Grinches and Santa and all those things, let it be what it is. But I wonder if we as Christians can't get some real clarity on what the meaning of the Advent actually is. You know, I think about, it reminds me a little bit about when Christianity became the dominant religion in the Roman Empire about 300 years after the time of Jesus. The, the Romans decided after trying to persecute the Christians for several hundred years, if you can't beat them, join them. So they made it the national religion. But what happened was when it became the national religion, it kind of got diluted between this faith and politics, and it became this sort of messy thing that lost its punch. Jesus said when salt loses its saltiness, it's no longer any good. And I wonder if Christmas hasn't lost its saltiness for some of us in, in the realm of our faith. 
And so I hope just these next few weeks, as you buy presents and wrap presents and do all the Christmas things, you're actually able to separate your faith and the, the Advent season from Christmas and all that comes with it. Does that make sense? I, I, I don't, I'm feeling this great urgency to do it. And I think it's because, you know, all fall we've been doing this thing where we're saying, hey, we're just going to fight in the craziness of this season and the craziness of COVID and the pandemic and the craziness of the politics and economies and all the struggles and all the things. We're going to just really fight to behold Jesus. We, we took our cue from the Apostle Paul when he went to Corinth and he visited them, this very complicated place. And he said, you know what, instead of cracking your cultural code and trying to speak to all the issues, I decided when I was among you to know nothing except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And we spent all fall, with the exception of these last few weeks celebrating our next 40 series, we spent the bulk of the fall just trying to zoom in on who Jesus is, to start with him and go from there. And many of you have spoken to me, and I've heard so much feedback of how liberating and refreshing and aligning that was to actually just sort of focus on Jesus first and then like, kind of seek him first and let everything else fall into its rightful place. And I wonder if we can't do that for Christmas. And so for these next few weeks, my job for us is to zoom in on the coming, the advent, the arrival. Advent means arrival. To zoom in on the advent of Jesus and that we might see something at a deeper or, or richer level than we ever have before. Something that we can hold on to as primary, even in the ups or downs or in-betweens of the season of Christmas. Does that make sense? You with me? Got a quiet crowd here, Valley. All right. Today I want to talk about... The fact, as we behold Jesus, I want to start with this reality about God being with us. Behold Jesus, God with us. What does it mean that God is with us? That's what I want to look at. And we, I want to answer two questions today. I want to answer the question, or like look at the implications of the incarnation. I want to look first and foremost at this idea that God is with us. What does it actually mean that God is with us? And then I'll quickly, I will quickly look at this idea of how he's with us in our day-to-day -day life. Two things we're going to fly over. Are you ready? We're going to look at how Jesus is with us and that he is with us. Let's jump in. First and foremost, behold Jesus, God with us. We need to see that God is with us. What does it mean and why does it matter that we serve not a God that is far away off in the universe, but in fact, God came with us. What do we need to understand about that? There's three things I want to unpack right here. The first is this. When we talk about God being with us, it's critical that we understand this. And this is a great sermon to take notes on. We, we get the house lights up here at the valley. If you don't have them up at West or at, in Halifax or Charlottetown, put them up. Take notes. Write them down. If you're at home on your computer, this is a great one. You're going to get some theology, but I hope it turns into something that stirs your heart. First and foremost, it's critical that you realize, when we talk about God with us, it's critical that we understand that Jesus, God in the flesh, actually came in the flesh. Now that sounds redundant, it sounds like it, needs, it goes without saying, but it really doesn't. It's, it's super important that you understand that he actually came. Look what John goes out of his way and he says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Do you know what the word incarnate means, incarnation? It actually comes from the word carne, carne. You know what, anybody speaks Spanish? What is carne in Spanish? 
meat, yeah, like uh, tacos con carne, meat. It's, it's kind of a weird thing, but when we say the incarnation, it means on meat, that, that God put on meat. He put on flesh. That's what the incarnation literally translates, God in a body. God in flesh. It is an unimaginable mystery to think about. And, and the Gospels go out of the way to show you the tactile nature, the tangible, real, physiological nature of Jesus as God. He is God in the flesh. And it's super important that we understand that. Why is it important? Well, first and foremost, in Jesus, God experiences the fullness of humanity. In Jesus, God fully engages his creation by becoming it. But also, simultaneously, there's this kind of cross-section in Jesus from day one, even in his incarnation, not just on the cross, you see in Jesus that humanity experiences the fullness of God. It's not just that God experiences humanity, but humanity in Jesus experiences the fullness of God creation fully engaged with God. Now, this is an incredible thing to consider. If you have ever wondered what God is like, if you've ever wondered what God thinks or what God would say or how God would live and move and operate in this world, if you want to know what God is like, we have been given Jesus. Jesus is God. Paul says he is the, or says in Hebrews, he is the exact imprint of the Father. Like he is, he is God. It says in Colossians that all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. So he's not some like JV version of God. He's not like God, you know, point oh. He's not, he's, he's fully God in human flesh. And it is critical that you understand that because if he's not God, he's just a great teacher and he said some good things, but he did not save your soul. He is God in the flesh, and it is critical that you know that. And it's critical that you let that reality of this vision of God becoming flesh hit the ground. I don't know about you, but it's very easy for me when I get seeing nativities and I get reading the, the, the Christmas story. Again, back to the clutter, it's very easy for me to lose sight of the historical reality of Jesus. And we talk about things like Santa coming and going, and we talk about Buddy the Elf and Grinches and elves on shelves doing things. And it's really easy to set Jesus in this fantasy world, isn't it? Like even right now when you're thinking about Bethlehem, you aren't probably thinking about it as a real place. Right now, I don't know what time it is in Bethlehem. They're probably eight or nine hours ahead of us, but there are people doing their lives in Bethlehem. It's a literal place, and Jesus was born in a literal place in a literal time. This did not happen in Middle Earth. It didn't happen in a galaxy far, far away. It happened. It didn't happen in the North Pole. It happened in a literal place, and God put on literal flesh. It is so important that we get that. Nobody who takes history seriously doesn't take the actual existence of Jesus Christ, or Jesus of Nazareth seriously. I mean, you've got it in the Bible, obviously the Gospels speak of it, obviously the Epistles speak of it, Paul, Paul said even Scripture speaks of it, that, that Jesus came and died according to the Scriptures. But we have extra-biblical accounts as well that speak to the fact that Jesus was a real person at a real point in history. And no real historian, whether they're atheist or not, would deny that Jesus existed. 
the claim that, that we've got to determine, we've got to take Jesus seriously on is, is he God or not? And that's what C.S. Lewis was kind of pressing in on in his book, Mere Christianity. He was talking about, you know, taking the claim of Jesus' godness very seriously and do not lump him in with Buddy the Elf and Santa Claus and, and Gandhi and good teachers and, and people that you kind of respect. Don't do that because he said he was God and it's important that you treat him as such. This is the famous quote from C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity that says, either Jesus was and is the Son of God or else he's a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God, but let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher or just a story among stories. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. It's really important that we make a decision and we realize that Jesus came. He literally came. He was a literal person in history. And, and we, we believe by faith that he is God in the flesh. We've got to make room for Jesus in the flesh in our, in our Christmas. Number two, let's keep going. We know that he actually came in the flesh, so it's important that you put that in a place in time, but let's, let's go a little deeper. He also, he had to come. Jesus actually had to come. What did John say? He said, in, he said, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. So he came full of grace and truth. He put on flesh and came to us. And it's important that you understand this. He did not come to make us feel better. He did not come to help, you know, give us some coaching on how to do life better. He didn't come because he was bored and wanted to hang out. That's not why he came. Jesus came to save us. He actually came because we are in and we're, apart from him, in dire need of his help. Help that only God can provide. Help that Jesus came to give us. He came full of grace and truth. The truth is he came to save you and I. The grace is he offered himself as the means of that salvation. You cannot take Jesus seriously or the claims of Christmas or the incarnation seriously and not deal with the harsh truth, and that is this, that left to ourselves, we are hopelessly lost. And the language from the beginning, even in the manger scene and the, the imagery at the announcement of Jesus' birth, you see, you know, lost people being found and exiles coming home. You see darkness and light, sheep without a shepherd. This is the picture. This is the problem that Jesus came to address and be graced for. That's what the incarnation is speaking about, the helplessness of humanity. The truth of the incarnation is that you and I are helpless. We need a savior. We don't need a fresh start so that we can do ourselves better. And Jesus didn't come here to say, you know, you do you. He came because we are lost and we need to be found. We are dead. We need life. We are blind and we need sight. We are bound and we need freedom. This is why when Jesus first announced his ministry, he read from the prophet Isaiah and he said, you know what, today... In your hearing, the words of Isaiah have been fulfilled. I came to bring sight to the blind, freedom to the captive, to bring the dead to life. That is why Jesus came. He came to deal with the problem of the human experience. What problem, you say? 
Well, the problem that all of us deep down know exists, the problem that has us searching all over the world and substances and success and circumstance and relationships, looking for meaning and purpose and vitality and joy and glory and transcendence. But we all know it eludes us. You know, it says in Proverbs that God has set eternity in the heart of men. Man is in search of transcendence, in search of God. And for many years, throughout human history, different religions have been brought forward as a way to get to God through moral behavior or through believing certain things or having certain philosophies that is going to allow me to get to God, to ascend to the heavens. Human beings have been trying to do that forever. Now we live in a time where we've given up on the idea of God being up here, but God somehow being in here, and God, we're going to find God within. But the good news of the gospel and what we celebrate at Christmas is not that we had to get up to God or had to climb some ladder or do stack some deeds upon themselves. The, the incarnation, the fact that God came and was born in the flesh means that God came to be with us, that heaven came down, transcendence came down, hope came down, love came down, mercy, forgiveness, purpose, peace, joy, all that eludes us came to us in Jesus. The gospel is that Jesus moved to us. And, and let's just like, again, let's untangle that from holiday messaging for a minute. Like what does Santa do? Santa, well, Santa rewards you for your behavior accordingly. And I actually quite appreciate it. I think more kids need coal. But thank God Jesus does not reward us for our deeds. Can I get an amen? He gives us what we don't deserve. He gives us grace. And I'm glad that Christmas, you know what, it might come just once a year. Santa might show up once a year and then go back to the North Pole. But Jesus came and his spirit remains. His kingdom continues to come. I'm so grateful for that. Santa rewards the good. Jesus saves all. This holiday comes for those who deserve it. Jesus came to save all who would come. Christmas is about giving, they say. No, not according to this. Christmas is about receiving. Let earth receive her king. God is with us. Grace, salvation, identity, peace, hope, meaning eternity is with us. Eternity in the body of humanity, in the person of Jesus. It's incredible. I hope, I hope that your spirit is hearing, is hearing what the spirit is saying to you right now. He had to come. One more thought on what it means that he's with us. It's not just that he actually came or he had to come, but he wanted to come. This is the greatest mystery of it all. It's the only thing that could have drove God to make such a profound move in our direction. It wasn't that he wanted some glory that he didn't have. There was not some payday that he needed to get. There was nothing that he needed at all. It was love that drove Jesus to come across the expanse of space and time and put on human frailty. It was love that drove Jesus 
to remove himself out of his omnipotent power and put on the fragility of a baby, to allow himself, think about this, the ancient of days, the one that John said, you know, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. All things were made through him and for him. That one allowed himself to be born into a frail baby body. He could not even speak the language of the people he came to save. He had to learn it. They, he let himself be passed around, cared for by a teenager and a dad that wasn't really sure he wanted them or not. Imagine how profound that thought is. What would drive him to do that? The only answer is love. Love. He came for love's sake. Look what John later says. He records a conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus. And Jesus says this to Nicodemus who was searching for God and he didn't realize that God was sitting right across from him. No one has ascended, has gotten up to heaven except he who descended from heaven. There's that imagery again, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him, whoever looks to him, it's imagery from Exodus, whoever believes in him may have, say it, eternal life. The life that we are looking for, the life that eludes us is in him. And here's the motivation right here. Here's why. It's the only reason. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. May we recover that message. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe in him is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. He is the only way to God. God with us came to us, turned to him, and received eternal life. That is his claim. It's important that you understand that God with us has always been the goal. God with us has always been the goal. Like if you could go and study this scripture from start to finish, you start in Genesis, why did God make creation? Well, yes, to express his creativity, but why did he make beings in his image? To experience, to know, to love. And then you find... When sin enters the world, what happens? You, you hear this picture in Genesis 3 where, where God comes and he says what? Where are you? Where are you? I was expecting to be with you and now we're not together. And then you, as you flip the pages of the scripture, you can go from start to finish. Over and over you find God moving to be with us. Calling Abraham and setting a people aside, saying, you're going to be my people. I will be your God and you will be my people and we will be together. And then you can go into the kings, into, or go to Exodus. Again, God calling his people and going into the, the book of Kings where God, they build a temple and God dwells in their midst. God with us is always and has always been the goal. That's what the incarnation is about. God being with us in person, in presence, and the crucifixion and the resurrection, what's ultimately being accomplished there, that there is no place left in heaven or on earth that God cannot be with his people. He made access. That's what the cross is. 
it's opening a way. It's creating a way for God and man. God and sinners reconciled. And if you read all the way to the very end, what's Revelation 21 say? At last, the dwelling place of God is with his people. He will be their God, and they will be his people, and they will dwell forever and ever and ever, and there will be no more mourning or sorrow or crying or sickness or pain. God with us has always been the goal. Hear this today, church. God with you has always been his goal. He has and is moving heaven and earth to be with you. God with you has always been the goal. Don't miss him. Don't miss the presence. Maybe the the thing that we need to let ring in our spirits this Christmas is that we would make room. Let every heart prepare him room. That we would make room for him this Christmas. There's a quote by John Piper. He said, Christ did not die to forgive sinners who go on treasuring anything above seeing and savoring God. And people who would be happy in heaven if Christ were not there will not be there. Why? Because witness is the goal. The gospel is not a way to get people to heaven. It is a way to get people to God. And the incarnation is actually heaven getting to us. It's a way of overcoming every obstacle to everlasting joy in God. If we don't want God above all things, we have not been converted by the gospel. God with us was always the goal. And what was Jesus doing on the cross? He was removing every barrier that keeps us from God, namely our sin. Amen? He's preparing a way for us. That's why that, that, that verse in Joy to the World is, or, yeah, Joy to the World, God and sinners reconciled. Let's hark the herald. I get them all mixed up. That's why it's so loaded. God and sinners reconciled through the Son. It's massive. I, I'm just praying that's registering in your spirit. God with us was always the goal. Okay, I'm, I'm almost done. Let's look for really, really quick at how God is with us. So we've seen that He's with us, but now let's look at how He's with us. How does this play out in your day-to-day life, the incarnation that God is with us? Because we don't just believe that like Santa comes once a year, that Jesus is somebody we got to find every once in a while. We believe that Jesus came, He lived, He died, He rose, He ascended to heaven, and He gave His Spirit, which is His very living presence that is meant to rest on us and in us and go before us and come behind us. Jesus wants to permeate every part of our lives. Amen? You all are so quiet. All right, let's look at how God is with us. Number one, I'm coming coming in fast. He is with us first and foremost in pain and problems. Isn't it amazing that Jesus in his redemptive plan did not skip any part or any place of the human experience? How many of you have followed Jesus long enough to know how incredible it is to know that Jesus knows what it feels like? Has anybody, like, I have learned and I've, I've drawn closer to Jesus, not through my successes or blessings, but actually through my burdens and my pains, I've actually found Jesus to be faithful and to be present with me, even in suffering, and that he knows what it's like. He knows what it's like to be 
stressed and anxious and have to figure out how to deal with it. He knows what it's like to be betrayed. He knows what it's like to have relational breaks. He knows what it's like to wonder where God is. He knows all of the things that you and I experience in this life, Jesus has experienced. That's why it says in Hebrews, we serve a sympathetic high priest. He's experienced the full scope of the human experience. And here's the crazy mystery. There's not one place you will go in this world that Jesus won't and hasn't and will not go with you. Let that settle for a minute. Jesus is at the funeral home. Jesus is at the job search. Jesus is in the divorce. Jesus will be with you wherever you go. It's an incredible mystery. And there is a profound revelation that comes through suffering. This is why Paul said one time, I want to know Christ in the fellowship of his suffering. There's a way that we get to know and come close to Jesus that only comes through pain. Has anybody experienced that in your life? Like you saw a tenderness or a presence from Jesus through your trial that you never had seen before. There's like an intimacy that comes through shared affliction. And I have learned that in our affliction is a great invitation into intimacy with God. And I have found his presence and his withness to be front and center if I will look for him in my pain and my problems. That invitation is true right now in coronavirus. Jesus is not lost in the swirl and the whirlwind of all that's going on. He's right here and he's still large and in charge and inviting us to trust him and be with him even in this time. And how many of you know sometimes he doesn't give you the prayer you ask for or the answer you're looking for, but he's always with us. He'll never leave us or forsake us. He said, in this world you will have trouble, but fear not, I've overcome them, and I will never leave you or forsake you. He is with us in pain and problems. Number two, he's with us in peace and placidity. I like that word. Not only does he go into these moments with us and endure hardship with us and walk with us and weep with us. But I have found in incredible ways and in sometimes supernatural ways that the peace of God is made available in unique and profound ways in some of the hardest moments of life. I've actually been in rooms with some of you. I see some of you even right now in this room. I've been in rooms of deep, deep sorrow and grief and stress, and yet the presence and the peace that surpasses all understanding is simultaneously there, and there is no explanation other than God is with us. And I've experienced it. And you might be in one of those moments right now. If you, you will call on him and you just trust him by faith, I know he doesn't always manifest himself the way that we want or thought, but I promise you, he will never leave you or forsake you. And I have experienced his peace in difficult times. I mean, I keep coming back to him. I have walked, I have probably, I have walked at least a thousand kilometers in the last year just, just with God and my dog. Like casting my cares on him over and over. And you know what I find too? I have to do it on a daily basis. And I wonder if that's not God's way of constantly calling us into himself. But I have found his peace. When I will go to him, his peace surpasses understanding. And what a moment for us to be carriers of his presence into difficult situations for other people. Amen? 
This was a time for the church, man. We would start a revolution and revival would come if we would just stop getting caught up in the anxiety and the division and the craziness of the time. And we were just some people with some common sense and some stability and some hope that wasn't attached to the economy or to politicians or governments. I think we'd start a revolution just by being sane. Amen? Just having a little peace right now. Well, we've got to do the hard work of intimacy with Jesus so we have peace when we go on social media and we have peace when we go into the marketplace and we have peace when we go to work. He will go with us in peace. Number three, he goes with us in power and provision. How many of you know he doesn't just give us peace, but he supplies all that we need? I love the picture of the manger scene. The manger, the word manger, that's, that's actually referring, it's not referring to the stable. And in fact, with all due respect to your bumper sticker, I don't even think there was ever a wooden stable. In fact, I think it was animals in first century Palestine and first century Israel were actually put in a dugout, like a cave. So, you know, set up your figurines today and just remember that's biblically inaccurate. But the manger is actually referring to the feeding trough. It's referring to the actual piece of wood that the animal owners would put hay or whatever they were feeding their animals in and the animals would come and they would eat out of. And so don't miss the symbolism of laying God with us down in a manger, in a feeding trough. It's foreshadowing the thing that that baby boy would later say, behold, I am the bread of life. Whoever receives, whoever takes, whoever eats of me will live forever. They will be satisfied in ways they never thought possible. He later said, unless you drink my, drink my blood and eat my flesh, you can have no part of me. But he who does will have eternal life. I am heavenly provision, bread of heaven, manna given for the salvation, satisfaction, the eternal life of humanity. And God will provide. It, listen, if God will provide your ultimate need by, by giving his son, what else wouldn't he give you? This is why I said, don't worry about tomorrow. If I look after sparrows, I will look after you. And if I dealt with the big problems, being sin and death, we'll deal with your money. We'll, 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 we'll deal with your family issues. We'll deal with your past. We'll deal with your fears. We'll deal with those things. That's one of the big messages of God with us. If God did not, like it says in Romans, if he who did not spare his only son gave us his son, like if God did not spare his own son, but graciously gave him to us, then how much more will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Let that register. If God is with us, if God is for us, if he's so for us that he'd be with us, who can be against us? That should be one of the main messages of Christmas. As you think about God with us, be reminded of how for us he is. Like I was thinking about it like this, the gift of Jesus, if you read that next, the gift of Jesus is living proof that there is nothing that God wouldn't give for your good. So just reject the lie that God is withholding something from you. You've been praying for something and asking him to deliver. Trust his timing and trust his goodness. But Jesus, the son of God, made flesh, full of grace and truth, is proof that there is nothing that God would not give for your good. Amen? Just receive that in faith today. Because some of you, I feel some people, you're wondering, like, God, are you good? God, are you there? God, do you know? Just consider, behold Jesus for a moment and remind yourself, he, with, he gave the most precious 
I'll use this word with reverence, commodity in the universe for your salvation. What would he hold back? What else would he not give for your good? Number four is this. So he moves in provision of power. Number four is he's with us in purpose and promise. Not only does he supply all our needs, like Paul says, I love the scriptures. Paul goes, I have learned the secret of contentment. I have known plenty and I've known little. I've known much and I've known nothing. I've been flogged and I've been healed. I've, I've experienced all of it. But in all of it, I've learned the secret of contentment. And I've learned that my God will abundantly supply all that I need through his son, Christ Jesus. I've learned that. And I've learned that he is leading me day by day to accomplish his good and perfect will in my life. He promised by his own blood that I belong to him, that I have a hope and a future, that he is for me, not against me. And I know that he who began a good work in me will bring it on to completion. And I know that faithful is the one who called me and he will do it. I know that if I just fix my eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of my faith, that he will help me run this race and bring it on to the end. Amen? So we follow Jesus day by day with his presence, God with us, and he's taking our lives, our mistakes and our successes, our regrets and the things that we could be tempted to be proud of. He takes it all and he shapes it and he forms it for our good and his glory. This is what it means in Romans 8, 28, for God causes all things to come together for the good of those who are called according to his purposes. When you yield your life to Jesus and say, I want to live my life with you, God, he will lead you step by step. And I love it too. You know one of my favorite parts of Jesus the Good Shepherd is? I have learned that he is an expert of making lemonade out of the lemons that I give him. Does anybody... I love that God is a, okay, so we did that. Let me see what I can do. Right? Has anybody served Jesus long enough to just like, so here we are, Brent. Okay. We're going we're gonna to make glory out of this. He, there is nothing that he can't redeem. I just want to speak that over somebody who's feeling shame today. Your story is not too busted that he can't make it beautiful. Truly. He is able to take the most sour, dark things about us and turn them into glory, to bring himself glory and to change our testimony and to, my God has been so good to me. He leads us by his presence with us in purpose and promise. Last thought, I'm going to pray, and you're going to go and enjoy the rest of your day. He is with us in presence and in person. I just want to, Holy Spirit, help me. There is a friendship, and I use that word with fear and reverence. There is a friendship that Jesus wants with us. And it, when you consider Jesus, King of kings and Lord of lords, the one in Revelation that it says forever and ever and ever, myriads upon myriads of angels are saying, worthy is the lamb who was slain. When you consider that he wants friendship with me. It is a profound mystery and a glory that your heart can't even handle. Like, I think, I think it's, it's like when David penned the words, who 
am I that you're even mindful of me? And yet Jesus wants to be present in my day-to-day life. Like he cares about what you care about. He weeps with those who weep. Like Jesus wants friendship with us. And the longer I serve him and the more ups and downs and highs and lows I have in this life, I find that he is the constant source of joy and blessing that never runs dry and never runs out on me. Like the longer I follow him and the more I serve him, I find he's the best part of all of life and all of my blessings, like my girls and my boys and my family and this church, all of these blessings are just more evidence of his goodness in my life. He's just so good. I know some of you are like, why are you so emotional? Like I just, my spirit's leaping. Like Jesus is just so good. We lose sight of that sometimes. We get lost in the complexity and the chaos of life. But the simple message of Christmas is that God came, he put on flesh to be with us. And not just in a general, all of humanity sense, but in a personal intimacy sense. cares about you. God of the universe wants friendship with you. Like, wow. What? You can have your Santa. You can have your presence now. Give me Jesus. Amen. You can have the whole world. Give me Jesus. There's nothing better. He's the peace I long for. He's the glory that on my most carnal days where I just want gratification and someone to tell me I'm worth it, he's the glory that I actually was looking for in the first place. He's my redemption and he's my hope. He has a plan for me. He's my caregiver. He's my provider. He's my father and my brother and my friend, a friend closer than a brother. His presence is the best thing about life. I was reading this week the story of John Wesley and his death. John Wesley, some of you don't know who he is. He, he was one of the greatest leaders in the church, in church history. Like God did more through that man than very few people who have ever lived. Revolutionized the whole country. England had a giant revival that spilled out into into North America. It's just incredible history. We actually trace our roots back to him. Methodism and Pentecostalism, it all came out of out of him. I was reading about his death, and he's surrounded by his loved ones. And I mean, the guy had lived some high highs, he'd also had some low lows. I mean, he'd made some mistakes, he had a broken family, he was not a very great husband or father. There's some things about his life you're like, Okay. And yet, at the end of his life, it records the the last words he ever said. And he's surrounded by his friends. It took him a couple days to actually pass. You know how sometimes those last moments drag on. It's torturous for a family. You know, they come in and out of consciousness. They're gasping for breath. And you're, you're listening to every word, wondering what's happening as you're stepping between heaven and earth and this life and the next. Some of you have been in the room for that. Well, they were describing that about John Wesley. And it said he'd been silent for hours and they'd not heard anything out of him. And then he opened his eyes and he said, 
best of all, God is with us. Like in all of my life, the highs and the lows, the things I'm proud of, the things I'm ashamed of, the things I did right and things I did wrong, the best of all is God is with us. He said that and then he said that he, he raised his arm and closed his eyes and said, best of all is God is with us. I don't know how your Christmas is going to go, but I know your testimony can be. Best of all, God is with us. Your family might be as messy as ever, but best of all, God is with us. You might not have enough money to, to get all the things that you wanted for your family and express your love, but best, best of all, though, God is with us. You know what? It might be the it might be a Hallmark movie Christmas. Just perfect. But you know what? Best of all, God is with us. There is nothing and no one better than, than God with us in Christ Jesus. Let me give you three things to consider this Christmas. I'm going to pray. Three incarnational Christmas opportunities. Hey, you took Christ out of Christmas. That X means Christ. Get over it. I didn't have room in the box. <laughs> Number one, do Christmas with Jesus, whatever it brings. He'll be there in the family drama, and he'll be there at the buffet, and he'll be there as Christmas morning when the kids are jacked. He, he'll be there. Just do Christmas with him. Let Christmas be all that it is, but do it with Jesus. Number two, give to others. Give them the gift of Jesus. Bring his presence with you when you're with others. How much, how great this year of all years would it be if we could just be non-anxious presences? Amen? Like if we could just not buy into the hype and the paranoia and the craziness of the hour, and we could just be grounded in Christ Jesus and absorbing other people's stress because we've got enough peace to go around. Be aware of Jesus in your Christmas, in, your, in this season, and bring him with you wherever you go, to the work party, to your, to your family things, all the things. Bring Jesus with you. Number three, aim to treasure Jesus' presence as the ultimate gift. Best of all, God is with us. Best of all, best of all, yeah. Father, thank you for this truth. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for loving us in such an undeserved way. That you would put on flesh. You would condescend yourself to get into the mud and muck and mire with us and take all of our sin and all of our shame upon yourself to offer us yourself and in you find life, forgiveness, restoration, peace, and meaning. Father, I pray that the truth of the advent, your arrival, the coming of your kingdom would cut through Christmas for us, your saints, like never before that you'd allow us to enjoy Santa in his rightful place and put the king in his rightful place. Thank you for the grace on grace you've given us. Thank you that you love us enough to tell us the truth and to provide the solution. 
We love you, Jesus. We pray this with gratitude and in your wonderful name. And all God's people said, amen.